0: Hello everybody my name is Wendy Holden and I am an author of many books but one which is particularly relevant today is called 100 Miracles and it is the memoir of musician Zuzana Ruzizhkova, an extraordinary woman who died a few days after I finished working with her in Prague two years ago. She and her mother had survived the most horrendous conditions in three concentration camps under Nazi rule and ultimately they ended up in Bergen-Belsen. Today is April the 15th, the 75th anniversary of the liberation of Bergen-Belsen, and I thought I would read a little from the book today about that place and about what it meant to Zuzanna and her mother to be liberated. But first, let me just tell you a little bit more about Zuzanna. She had everything to look forward to as a young girl growing up in Pilsen, Czechoslovakia, a musical prodigy by the age of 12, She'd fallen in love with the music of composer Johann Sebastian Bach and was destined to train in Paris and develop her talents. One thing stood in her way. She was Jewish. Her gilded childhood ended the day the Nazis marched into Czechoslovakia in 1939 when she was just 12. Sent to the Terezin ghetto with her beloved parents, grandparents and cousin Dagmar, she was almost worked and starved to death. Her sanity was saved by the music she could listen to there and by the kindness of teacher Freddie Hirsch, who set up a children's block in the ghetto. First her grandparents died, then her 46-year-old mother got sick. When her father died, her mother became suicidal. Just short of her 16th birthday, Susanna and her mother were loaded into a cattle wagon bound for Auschwitz. Stripped, shaved and tattooed, Mother and daughter were forced to sign their own death warrants and even given the date for their execution, June 6, 1944. When the Allies launched D-Day on that date, though, the pair were instead selected for slave labour in the Hamburg shipyards. Susanna heard music for the first time when she walked into a building there. She said, Chopin was playing on the radio. I fainted. I couldn't bear the thought that somewhere in this world somebody was making music. Despite being sick with typhus, both women were forced to repair an oil pipeline in perilous conditions under daily Allied bombardment. In February 1945, they were sent to Bergen-Belsen, where Susanna stole food and dragged bodies to the pyres in order to keep her mother alive. She didn't expect to survive, and neither did her mother. But on April the 15th, a miracle happened. And this extract now is from the book to explain what that was. Appel, which was the weekly inspection, began at six o'clock every morning and always took an age to complete. I was afraid I wouldn't be able to stand all that time. Some of the women helped me up and half carried me outside. We waited and waited as an hour passed and then another, but the Germans never came. We waited some more, listening to the guns in the distance but still no one arrived to count us and take their daily tally of the dead. People started to get excited, and someone cried, What date is it? The stronger prisoners from Buchenwald left our area and went looking for the guards. When they came back, they told us that the watchtowers were empty, and it looked as if all the Nazis had left our part of the camp. Everyone went mad then, crying and laughing, singing and dancing. Some organised race to search for food, but my mother and I just shuffled back inside, too weak and in pain to do anything. Lying together then, we could hardly believe that we were free at last. We experienced one of those rare moments of unadulterated joy, the kind you can only know in the darkest of times. We were happier still when a friend came and told us that the Buchenwald Czechs were raiding the German stores and would bring us some food. Then came the bad news. There was nothing left to eat, and the Germans had disconnected the water supply. All that remained was a little flour, so the prisoners tried to make some bread with standing water, but it wasn't enough. We'd been abandoned. Word came then that a group of young Hungarian soldiers with white armbands had arrived in the camp claiming they were neutral and had been instructed to take over. We assumed the Nazis had put them in charge. They were immediately mobbed by some of the stronger prisoners and we heard that they'd started blindly shooting into the blocks in an effort to save themselves and not be lynched. It seemed then that they weren't neutral at all, but may have been sent to finish us off. We feared it would only be a matter of time before they appeared at our door with guns. Everyone hid in their blocks, listening and waiting for the end. The Allied armies were no longer so close and the sound of their guns was moving further away, which was the most terrible realisation of all. Nobody was coming to save us. My mother lost all faith then. She already had the typhus swellings, and although I kept promising her that the British or Americans would come soon, she just kept saying, no, no, the Germans will come back. They'll be back. She was very near to her time, but I begged her to hold on for just a little longer. Those last three days were the most desperate of all, because we'd had hope, and then we'd lost it again. I truly believed that my mother would die before we would be liberated, so to be almost liberated felt unbearable. I thought then that I would almost certainly die too, and I don't think I cared. A day or so later we suddenly heard the rumble of tanks and the noise of trucks, and to begin with we feared the worst. Mummy was semi-conscious and kept murmuring, It's the Germans, it's the Germans. I got quite angry with her then and scolded her. Why do you have to be such a pessimist? It could be the English or the Americans, mummy. When people ran out to confront the trucks, they couldn't believe their eyes. They were full of British soldiers. They had come to liberate us at last. The date was April 15, 1945. Kissing my delirious mother with happiness, I didn't have the strength to celebrate, but somehow found the energy to get up and limp out of the block. The sight of those clean, healthy Brits in uniform was like some sort of vision. It was a wonderfully sunny day, and I really felt as if I was hallucinating. I learned how the British came into Belsen some time later from an RAF pilot and senior officers. The Germans in charge of the camp knew that the war was ending and tried to negotiate with the British... They told them of the typhus epidemic and suggested the Allied armies avoid the camp and go around it so as not to spread disease to their men or to the surrounding area. In return, the Nazis agreed that a so-called neutral force be sent in to care for the remaining prisoners. When the British heard that some prisoners had been shot and examined aerial photographs taken by a reconnaissance plane that showed piles of dead bodies lying around the camp, "'Senior officers decided to send a unit in to find out what was going on. "'If they hadn't, we would have died there. "'Everyone crowded around our stunned Liberators, "'weeping and laughing and begging for food. "'The terrible thing was that, quite understandably, "'the soldiers gave us everything they had, all their rations. "'This was deadly. "'I was thrown a tin of fatty luncheon meat, "'which I devoured immediately and somehow survived.' Sadly, many others didn't, and an untold number died in that way because, having had nothing to eat for so long, their digestive systems absolutely couldn't take it. Food was fatal. After eating the luncheon meat, I was terribly sick, and it was that that probably saved me. Summoning the English my father had taught me, I begged the soldiers for their help. Hearing someone speak their language, they immediately took me in one of their vehicles to senior officers, "'to tell them what had gone on in the camp. "'I told them as much as I knew in my remote corner. "'Then I asked them to send a doctor to my mother. "'Please help us,' I pleaded. "'She is dying.' "'A medical officer asked me what was wrong with her, "'and I told him she had typhus. "'He wrote me a prescription and told me "'that a mobile dispensary had been set up "'a kilometre further inside the camp, "'and he pointed the way. "'I was amazed that they could have organised "'something like that so quickly.' It was so wonderful how the British handled the crisis. I started to make my way slowly there, but I too had a fever and ulcers on my skin, and I was still very weak. Exhausted after a few hundred yards, I decided to take a rest in the shade of a birch tree, so I sat on the ground and quickly lost consciousness. When I came to, several hours had passed. No one had taken any notice of me, I was just another sick prisoner in a camp of between fifty to 60,000, with some 10,000 bodies lying around. Pulling myself to my feet, I made my way to the dispensary, got the prescription filled and hurried back to administer it to my mother. Entering our block, I was horrified, to find our bunk empty. Where is she? Where is my mother? I cried, becoming quite hysterical. The other girls told me that a medical truck had taken her and others away. Thinking that she must be either dead or dying, and distraught without me, I passed out. When I woke up, I was in a bed with clean sheets and a proper mattress, luxuries I hadn't known since 1939. For a moment or two, I thought I was in heaven. I had no idea where I was or how long I had been unconscious. I was too sick with typhus to do anything but marvel at the way everything was being handled. My filthy body had been washed, and I was in some sort of crisp white gown. All I could hope was that my mother was somewhere nearby, being taken care of, just as beautifully. 100 Miracles, the memoir of Zuzanna Ruzishkova, written by me, comes out in paperback on May 14 and is available now for pre-order. Thank you.